1 Corinthians chapter 3, page 808 in the church Bibles. And so while you're turning there, just let me say a few things to you. First of all, um, I, just in case I forget, I want to make sure that I tell everyone I hope that we have, all of you have <clears throat> a wonderful and peaceful and joyful Thanksgiving holiday. It is a, um, a privilege, I think, that all of us enjoyed now for many years. And we try our best not to take these things for granted. But it needs to be said that um, for 47 years, I've enjoyed peaceful, uh, tranquil, uh, uh, happy Thanksgivings. And that is a gift of grace. And I'm sure many of you have enjoyed the same. So happy Thanksgiving to you. And may the blessing of Jesus Christ be on your homes and all your gatherings and the time that you'll be able to spend, as many of us will have a few extra days off with your family and with your friends. Then secondly, I want to say thank you again for last night. As Dale said in in his prayer, we just um, are thankful and grateful for your service, your prayers, your offerings, and um, to see uh, us do God's revealed will and feed people and preach the gospel to them and pray to that end and praise God publicly And it was a wonderful evening, and we want to thank God for that, and thank you for participating in the ways that you did. So, let's read the word of the Lord now. Verse 10 to verse 17. We're not going to work through the whole text exactly, but um, we'll need to read those verses. And also, I'm going to read verse 5 of chapter 4. So, let's hear the word of the Lord. By the grace God has given me. And if you think about that just for a second, isn't that a wonderful line? I mean, by the grace God has given me. It's like one of those opening lines from a wonderful book. Uh, It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Uh, Tale of Two Cities or In a Hole in the Ground There Lived a Hobbit. You remember that? Those are just classic lines. And to me, when I read these first uh, six, seven words, it just jumped out on the page. Think about that. And, And just in our general context, by the grace God has given me, the grace of my salvation, the grace of my sanctification, the grace of food and and clothes and breath and to be able to work and think and function in this world. The grace of knowing that the home, our real home is in heaven. And if we're in Christ, we're safely going to be ushered there. I mean, you can't just let those words just just crawl by uh, uh, too quickly. By the grace God has given me. Okay, back to the Bible. I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping the flames. And then verses 16 and 17, and that kind of a healthy warning. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. And then verse 5 of chapter 4. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart 
at that time, each will receive his praise from God. Amen. Let's bow together. Thanks be to God for his word, and and let's pray. Well, Father, as we come to you this morning, knowing that you know that we can't do anything as we should without your help, we would thank you again for your servants in this local body who did so much and worked so hard for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so I would ask that you please bless them in, in ways that you deem best. And we also thank you, God, for the people that arrived. And we pray that those who were not converted or are not connected to your church, we pray that you would do what's best in these things and you would have mercy on their souls and save them and collect, connect them, Father, to your local body. Now, Father, help us with these words this morning to obey them and to apply them in our lives in a way that will make us useful and fruitful to you, the head and king of this, your church. And because of the fleeting nature of our lives, this, this is our heartfelt prayer. So please stir us to serve you and others in this context of this, your church, and in your world, honestly and joyfully with a soberness and humility of spirit fitting to a people who have a king such as Jesus and so belong to you. Grant then that none of us will this morning just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers and thinkers as well. And we ask these things for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. So if your Bibles are open, you will notice that Paul has gone immediately from a metaphor in verses 6 to 9, which is agricultural, to a metaphor in verses 10 through 17, which is architectural. And if you're from northern Minnesota, you might think that Paul might be from northern Minnesota because those seem to be the two prerequisites for people who live here. Everyone here is fantastic at growing things. I know because I can't grow a lick. And I think it's you have to know how to build your house or build stuff, and I can't build anything, let alone fix it. So there, there might have been a little bit of, of northern Minnesota in Paul. So, anyway. <laughs> if you want to take me out back and deal with me later, then that was a compliment, because it's one of the privileged things about living here. Maybe, maybe this year the garden will grow, you know, finally. We'll see. So, as I began my studies, after I had that thought... <laughs> Immediately, a, a song came to mind, which, frankly, when, when I sing it, it's, it's, it's to myself, it is an awesome, uh, thoughtful, beautiful song that could bring you to tears. And the song is Building Day by Day. It's by Fanny Crosby. And the refrain goes like this. We are building day by day as the moments pass away, a temple which the world may not see. And every victory won by grace will be sure to find its place in that building for eternity. And what that song capsulates is the privilege of being part of the body of Jesus Christ and how Jesus is, by grace, building this body for eternity. And so it becomes completely essential that all of us understand this truth from from our children's age and up that the building Paul the Apostle is referring to here in these verses ultimately has very little to do with sticks and bricks and rooms and walls but rather has everything to do with this eternal aspect of our existence the why has God made us aspect of our existence 
And if we would overlook these things or just demote these things to an improper place, then just let the normal events of any passing week bring to mind the frailty of our life, the certainty of our death, which points to the fact that at any moment, any one of us could be called into the very presence of Christ himself. And loved ones, if we are not building with those things in our sights, then God's word tells us here, we are building with the wrong thing in our sights. So these verses are not just for the church in Corinth. It is for every true church. And do you see, as we move through the Bible all these years, do you see how Christ-centered and how church-centered the New Testament is? Because the Bible is a book about Christ, and the honor of Christ's name, listen carefully, is directly tied in many ways to the visible church, which is why Christ is so committed to her, and so he equips her, and he loves her, and forgives her, and he just is so precious to her. Again, why? Because the honor of Christ's name is directly tied to the visible church. Because what Paul writes here is a God-given general truth throughout the whole of the New Testament. A general truth concerning the nature of God's building and the Christian role. So let's, let me give you some examples. Acts chapter 17, when Paul arrives in Athens before he ever steps foot in Corinth. He says to the people on Mars Hill that, that the God we worship does not live in temples made with human hands. So this is not a stick and brick issue. He did the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. He tells the Christians there, You are members of God's household, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And then he says this, In Him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises together to become a holy temple to the Lord. So this building that we are building, in a way, has this kind of intangible sense to it except when we actually touch the lives of other people. And Paul is not unique in this. Peter, another apostle of Christ, writes to the scattered believers of his day, 1 Peter 2, 5, you also, speaking to Christians, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So there you are, building, growing to the Lord. Together is the Christian privilege. Therefore, as we get to our first point now, and if you have a worship folder, you can see it in the back there. The designer of this house is God. That's our first point. God is the designer of the church, his building. Well, why is that so? Well, it's so because he has planned this from all eternity. God has set his eye on us, and he loved us before all eternity. You heard that in one of your testimonies, Romans chapter 8. By his providence, God is working out everything. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, according to the purpose of his will, verse 12, to the praise of his glory. And again, it is the undeserved privilege for those of us in Christ, not only to be made members of the body of Christ, if you can believe that, but to be actually called to work in the body and see it grow. Therefore, loved ones, again, God is the designer of his building the church which is part of the implications of what Paul wrote in verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I lay the foundation. Do you see it there? By the karas, the, 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 the charisma, the gifts of God. The gift of God brought me to this, Paul says. So the grace of God here is not like, if you would, grace all over the place. It is graced, infused with God, God's mind, God's power, God's intention, God's design, 
God's plan for his church, his building. And that's why Paul is able to say, by the grace given me, I laid the foundation. In other words, God's grace put me in this direction. Equip me for this. Which is why Paul says in verse 10b, if your Bible's open, you can see it, but each one should be careful how he builds. Now, the word careful is the Greek word blepo. It means, it's an important word. It means properly, to see things as they are to be seen. So, in other words, when we tell our kids before they leave the house, please drive carefully, what are we saying? Drive as you should drive. Carefully and thoughtfully and with the, the nine and the three, is that right? Is that what we're doing nowadays? Nine and three and road and all that kind of stuff. It's the same thing here. Build, not all over the place. Carefully, properly, to see things as they are to be. And that has been God's pattern throughout the whole of the Bible. For example, Moses is given the exact plans in the building of God's tabernacle in the wilderness. And God, through the pages of the Old and New Testament, he tells his people, this is how I am to be worshipped. And this is how I am to be praised. And Jesus says to go into, world, into all the world and say exactly this and do exactly this. And the apostles, the earthly representatives of Jesus Christ, establish in the church God's pattern. That's why Acts 2.42 is so important. They gave themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So it's God's plan and in God's pattern and God's plan and God's work and so on. And you and I know that the 21st century mind might recoil or resist at such exactness and instruction. But why would they do that? Who is father and who is child? Who is God and what is man? Who is the designer and who is the privileged worker? Point number one. God is the designer of the church, his building. Second, we have to recognize, verse 11, Jesus is the foundation of the church, God's building. And loved ones, we dare not be uncertain about this. Paul has said, verse 10, that that by God's enabling, he laid the foundation as an expert builder. And now he very clearly writes, verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So it's on a person. So Paul does not want the Corinthian Christians to think that a mere man or a mere woman can lay down any foundation they like in God's church. Paul understands this then from the Corinthian context. Remember, where the place where the people were meeting, they were valuing uh, human personalities. So people were saying, as we've been saying, we like him. Others said, no, no, we really like him. Uh, Theirs is the one, that's the foundation that we want to build on. And Paul says, no, you cannot build to your own taste, your own preference, or your personality. So again, Paul is taking great pains to say, listen, your allegiance is to be to Jesus Christ. And when it comes to God's building project, the church, understand that no one may lay down a foundation to taste or preference by any other person other than Jesus Christ, who is the only authentic foundation of God's church. Okay, so explain that. Well, I'll try to. So if he said, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that this is not to be confused with laying down a a foundation in the church of only Christian ethics. Listen carefully. Christian ethics by which many are found in other religions 
who hold no desire to the kingship of Jesus Christ, nor to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. So you cannot build solely on just Christian ethic. It's not to be confused with ethical human tradition or the, only the moral teachings of Jesus Christ or only the Ten Commandments or just building a foundation on human friendship and sentimentality that, that you think that is the foundation. Those are nice, but that's not the foundation because it's possible to, to, to quote, build a church, for example, only on self-created moral standards that move through time. So you become a, a type of a, a moral minority, we'll say where the only thing that keeps us hitched together is, for example, horrible ones at that, that we don't like this certain group, or we don't like Hollywood, or, or we don't like this certain political thought, or we don't like this ethnic group, or we don't like those kinds of people. Whatever it is to taste, regardless of what we may think about these things, that is not to be the foundation of the church. Jesus Christ loves the world. And there's no true church without her foundation being Jesus Christ himself who gives his love to sin-sick people, who says at the cross, Father, forgive them. Forgive my executioners. So think with me. What is to be the grounds then as we build on this foundation of Christ? What is to be the grounds of our confidence in standing with God? Is it our moral rectitude? I hope not. What is to be the grounds uh, for our justification, our, our salvation, our adoption, our promised sanctification and glorification before a, a three-time holy God? What is the ground of these sure confidence? It is only because of Jesus Christ, his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension. Because it is only in him that we may discover forgiveness for our past sins, strength for the now, bright hope for tomorrow, and be accepted into his heaven. Therefore, the Christian may grow to understand that God is delighted with them, not because we worked so hard last night, and we did work hard last night. God is delighted with us only because of Jesus. So we relate to God then only through Jesus, his son, and not our works. So we live our lives on the basis of Jesus' performance and not our own. Which is why the, the test that we will learn about, not completely, but, but some in a moment, the test that we will learn about is that we may work and work and work, but it's the quality, not the quantity, the quality of our work that, that may not pass the test at the end, Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus in the Gospels said to the self-justifying religious Jews. And may I tell you that a religious self-justifying people, they may be the most unhappiest and fault-finding people in the world. Jesus said to them, chapter 5, verse 39, John's Gospel, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me, the person of Jesus, to have life. Which is why the dangerous people in the Gospels are the ones, if you would, who have a Bible in their hand, Pharisees, Sadducees, but no Savior in their heart. Jesus is the only foundation of the church, not tradition, not genealogies, not Peter, not preferences, preferences not ethics, only Jesus. And so the hymn writer puts it perfectly. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. 
from heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her, and for her life, he died. And we need to move along, but isn't it amazing that Paul felt that he even had to write verse 11 to Christians? But evidently, Paul and God thought it needed to be written. Because I think the hidden question uh, behind verse 11 is, what foundation are we building on? I mean, I think that's the hidden question. What foundation are you building on? Now, the next time we meet, we'll find in depth that our motives will be tested in this. But the question here is, I think, what foundation are we building on? So a while back, we said that there can be no true Christian sermon, biblical sermon, or instruction without blood in it, without the blood of Christ. In other words, it's, it's not a Christian sermon if Christ is not the strength in the talk somehow, and he's presented as dying Savior, risen Lord, and returning judge. So that we're not just giving um, flat, moral, ethical talks. I mean, they are okay, but they're not fully Christian. Fully Christian talks have Christ in it and his gospel. It's the same here. For as you think through history, current and past, despite the, what Paul has wrote here is so plain and clear, there are some who've decided to build themselves a church on another foundation. Let me give you one example, Joseph Smith and the Church of Jesus Christ's Latter-day Saints. That church is in direct denial of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For the Jesus of that movement is not the Jesus of the New Testament. He's not very God and very man. He's not co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. But their Jesus was a created Jesus. They say there was a time when Jesus was not, that he was made, that he was created. Christianity says, no, no, there was never a time when Jesus was not. God the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, co-eternal and co-equal. And to say anything less than that is heresy. So yes, they have a Bible, but they have another book. And that book won't do. Mary Baker Eddy, Christian Science, is the same type of thing. And on a smaller level, there are many churches which have been founded on a person or a personality. And when they go, the thing goes. Or when they go, it just kind of dwindles away. And Paul says, no, no, no. This is the church of Jesus Christ we're talking about. No human being can sustain the church of Jesus Christ. No human being can sustain the life of the church of Jesus Christ. Not a pastor not a personality or a group of people. The only church that will stand the test is the church built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so Paul makes it clear, no mere human being is the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ, and therefore no mere human being sets the paces for the church of Jesus Christ. And that takes us to our third point. Number one, God is the designer of the church. Number two, Jesus is the foundation of the church. Number three, the Christian is part of the building and a builder in the church. So think with me along these lines. Construction sites more than often have, have a uh, project manager, right? At least the successful ones, right? And so the project manager ensures that the project is completed within the scheduled time and it's done per the specs or the requirements of the client. The manager knows the blueprints. He knows to delegate the task. He knows who he reports to. And if you, if you like, that was the Apostle Paul. He was, verse 10, commissioned or graced by God to do this. He was an apostle. He laid the foundation, verse 10b, as an expert builder. And when Paul uses the word expert, he's not boasting. 
That, that is a very careful technical term which distinguishes Paul from everyone else in that scene and in that circumstance. He was God's authorized builder. He had the one and only divine blueprint for the church of Jesus Christ. He was laying down the foundation of God's work, God's way. We need to listen to him. They need to listen to him. And through the pages of the Bible, we are able to listen to him. So this Verse 10b, each one then should be careful how they build. We might add that we should be careful and mindful and prayerful how we build God's church. Paul is constrained by God's truth. He's constrained by God's truth in a way that is foundational and unique to the apostle, apostolic ministry. So that's why he says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. I laid the foundation of Christ and Him crucified. That was my pattern. He, he was under obligation to make sure that their faith, the Corinthian church's faith, rested only on the power of God and rested only on the work of Jesus Christ. And we, as part of the building and part of, of the building project, are under that same exact direction. And so that is how you know if you are being built up on the right foundation and in the right direction in God's church, are your instructors constantly calling you and affirming the people that, they, that listen in their faith and the truth and the power and the grace as it is in Jesus Christ alone? So that your instructors are constantly taking you back to Jesus Christ. Leaning on Him for everything. He is the victory. He is the source for everything. And that is how you know that you're getting the Bible right and square and not wrong and crooked. That is how you know that your pastors and teachers are building with the right materials as they constantly take you back to first things, to the basics, to Jesus Christ, Christ in his atoning work, Christ in his power over death, Christ in the certainty of his resurrection, and therefore our resurrection, Christ in the power of the Spirit to live new lives in him as he celebrated, worshipped, and enjoyed as head and Lord of everything. That was Paul's part, and others who follow him, if they are going to build in a way that passed the test, see, that's the key, pass God's test, they must do the same and they must do it then with God's power. So Paul's not building the church on his own steam. And he's certainly not building it on his own mind. And loved ones, we can't either. And, and surely this needs to be said. I, I, I think it is. And I hope you find this encouraging. Just the demands that we have as human beings, husbands, wives, uh, mothers and fathers, employer, employees, student, teacher, friends, relatives, all in Jesus Christ, that it would be so unwise and such an unnecessary thing to do that we would try to live our life on our own steam or our own approach and in our own minds. How weak is the power of our flesh? How small earthbound wisdom is. How fleeting earth-only victories are. How cruel it is to us that it promises us everything and yet delivers nothing or just some cheap passing imitation that holds us at bay just for a little bit. It's kind of the euphoria of having our way just for a little bit, but not forever. Well, what is the difference? One is our own steam, and the other is God's power. 
So have you checked your power source yet this week? Is it God or just a nine-volt version of us? I had to do it this week. This week I spent 20 minutes laying on my bed thinking hard about, you ready? The atonement. I was thinking hard about how Christ's suffering and death satisfied God's wrath on my sin. And how I know now, because of that atonement, that God loves me and he sees me so completely and perfectly. All because of what? Because of his tremendous commitment to the things of God. No. All because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for my sins. And let me tell you something. That 20 minutes I spent on my back on the bed, it was thrilling. It was thrilling. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. Nothing of any eternal value that will pass the test that Paul writes of. God gives the task. God gives the power. God and not man grades the work. God and not man grades the work. That's why I read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. You see it there? Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and he'll expose the motives of men's hearts. Only God's qualified to do that. And at that time, each will receive his praise from God. And that takes us to our fourth and final heading. It'll just be brief. We build with quality and eternity always in mind. Again, we build with quality and eternity always in mind because Christ, as we read here, will scrutinize our work. He's going to examine our work on that day and we need to end. So we'll learn this next time more fully, but there is a day coming, a day of judgment on our works and on our building as it were. And Jesus Christ will be that judge. If we're building the way the Bible tells us to with right motives and the right plan, then the day holds no disappointment for us at all. If our conduct and our service and our motivation in both, as it's judged, if we answer the why do we do what we do for Jesus Christ in his church question with a beautiful answer, we did it for Christ and his love for people, that day holds no disappointment. Now, this is not a heaven or hell judgment. Jesus Christ took care of that. But this is the rewards judgment and the scrutiny of Jesus Christ on our labors. So let me just read to you these verses and then I've got a quote and we'll just about be done. Verse 12. Do you see it there? If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So this week, for my own personal encouragement, I, I took a bunch of cards that uh, many of you wrote to me for Pastor Appreciation Week, and I kind of began my study along those lines. I picked out one card I'd like to read to you, and then I got a quote from Calvin. And this is what the, the long-standing member of West Coast said. 
There are so many times in our family's daily life that we stop and thank God for you, for the work that you do to study and preach, and for the learning that we are blessed to enjoy that is changing our hearts and the way we think and act. And we feel so well loved by you and your family. Thank you seems trite, but we mean it from the bottom of our hearts. Now, I'm sure you know that, that in pastoral, pastoral ministry, those things like that are like gold. They're like gold. And so I read that one. I started my studies and I ran right into this quote from Calvin. And I want you to listen to it. The true servants of God are not always precisely distinguished from false workers because good and bad points are covered by the cloak of night. Ambition is blind. The favor of men is blind. The applause of men is blind. But God will dispel the darkness. Those who depend on men's estimation so that they are satisfied if men pass them as acceptable are foolish because the work will receive praise and reward only after it has withstood the day of the Lord. Let no one flatter themselves because in man's opinion he is rated as among the eminent master builders. For as soon as the day dawns, all his work must be completely ruined if it is not approved by the Lord. Now, do you understand what Mr. Calvin is saying? 25 years in the thing, and it all will go up in flames, in flames, if God does not approve of the work. This is important. These verses tell us that eternity is coming and, and there's going to be a certainty of day, of examination, of, of scrutiny by the one who's qualified Jesus Christ and the way we lived and what we did with what we have, we brought to the throne. And again, we will not be, uh, as believers, scrutinized for eternity. Jesus Christ took care of that. But we will be scrutinized as for our activities in the body of Jesus Christ, our motivation, our quality, if we work to be seen and recognized or we work for Christ to be exalted and made known. And loved ones, as these things unfold, we cannot be so quick to judge the next great thing nor one another. We can't because the text constrains us. Therefore, God constrains us, strains us that this is a judgment that only Jesus Christ can give. And that's why this text is so crucial. Our time is done. Thank you for your attention. Let's pray.